You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. My name is Dan. I get the pleasure to serve as one of the other pastors in our church, and it is a deep joy. Um, so we're going to have baptism in a little bit here. And we, I think it was appropriate as well, we invited new partners into the church and installed. And, um, you know, we have things like Intro to the Village and other stuff. It's exciting as we think about joining the church, as we think about walking with the family of God. And one thing, as we do baptism in a little while here, I think it ties into today when we're looking. Uh, we're doing this series through the book of 1 Corinthians, which was a letter that this man Paul, one of the early leaders of the church, wrote to the city in Corinth. And the theme of this whole series, you're going to see this continue through, is the United Church. It's the United Church. Because this was a church that was divided. So everything, as much as the subject matter might seem like it's all over the place, if you look at a common theme, it's talking about how this wide, varied group of people become one as a church. So we're going to look at that as we look in a moment here. But um, even as we think about things like baptism then... Um, we live in a very Western society. What that means is like we really run through the grid of me, I. Like that's like normal. So even when we think about baptism, and I think this is true, we often think about it as like a very personal thing. And it is. It's one of the most personal things you can do between you and God. But what I want to emphasize here is baptism is not just for the individual But one of the significance of baptism is an invitation, a welcome into the larger family of Christ here. That as we celebrate baptism, it's not just momentous for the individual, it's momentous for all of us. We're saying, look, our family, it's getting bigger. More people are becoming part of this family. So I'm just laying it out here. My very clear desire is for every single one of us to commit to a local church. Um, I mean, I would love it if it's here at the village, but honestly, it, it could be one of the other solid churches in our city. And that might sound weird for you as you hear me say that. Um, I, in the big picture, I, I'm, I'm human. I would love it if it's here at the village. But the bigger picture is we want you to commit to a local body of people who are walking together to know who God is. So today, I want to take a little time as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at this passage to see why this is practically important as we see this community that loves. That's the big picture for today, the community that loves. But look with me first at Hebrews 13 and, and just a quick passage here starting verse 17 where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So whoever the author of Hebrews was, um, the author was basically speaking to the church here and talking about what does it mean to be part of a community and then how do you interact with the leadership, the elders and the leaders of that church. And, And it's saying that in a local church community like ours, God has put in place those who are in authority. And I know for some of us, authority is a dirty word, but it's a biblical concept, authority um, over the people of the church. We would call them elders, leaders, and the responsibility is to set the direction, to really guide the church. And, and what this is saying then, it's saying, hey guys, don't be that church folk. Um, 
that make your leaders, whenever they think about you and start praying for you, they got to like pop a whole bunch of tums before they do that because you just bring anxiety to their life and you make life really hard. Don't be those kind of people when they're trying to lead you because it does no good if the leaders feel this way. It's really not good for you, but it's not good for the leaders. And, and what it's assuming then, that good leadership in a local church, you would have leaders in place that make you want to follow joyfully. That make you want to listen to what's uh, being put before you and follow and, and even submit. So here's the point, and, and this is as we get into where we're going today. If there's no local church community, what kind of leadership are you being called to submit to? So when, we, when it says submit to your leaders, is that just an ambiguous, general, big, like whoever's called an elder or leader in the larger world church, that's who you submit to? I'm not sure if that's what it's alluding to here. It seems to be talking about a local context. So just to use a very um, personal example for me, when I'm not here at our church, I get the blessing and the privilege to be, uh, visit some other churches and groups and be able to speak and preach for them. And that's a great joy. I, I consider it a high honor. I love it. I go in there. I give everything I have. I speak passionately. I love them with everything that I can. And I, lo- I do all I can to minister to those folks. I love them. But ultimately, I am not responsible for those people. Ultimately, if I come in and speak for a group of people, I'm ministering, but ultimately I'm not responsible. I'm not keeping watch over their souls as it describes here because that's the job of the elders. That's the job of the leaders of that church. And I will not have to stand in front of God one day and give an account for those people. I mean, I might say, yeah, I was there that one weekend and I gave about 30-minute message. But I'm not going to have to give account for their souls as it describes here. But you know who I will have to do that with? Y'all, our church and our elders, our pastors, that's who we give an account to ultimately before God, the people that God has made part of this church. And God has commanded me and, and set me here and our other pastors and elders with that call. And we take that very seriously. We take that like ultra seriously. So I want you to keep that in mind as we understand what biblical church leadership looks like. Uh, in today's passage, starting in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, starting verse 1 here. Let me read it. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So some of y'all that are new to this, John, you're like, what? As in the Bible? They never taught me that in Sunday school before. Heck, I've been missing the good stuff. I mean, so a son is having relations with his mama. That's what it's talking about. A son is having relations with a mama. And this is like reality show kind of stuff, right? For some of you a little bit older like me, it, this is like uh, Maury Povich kind of stuff, right? Um, I mean, this is kind of stuff that you're at the barbershop and even non-church people cringe at. Like even not, you don't have to have any religion. You say, oh, something's off there. Ooh, that, that's, that's really out there. I mean, we don't know the specifics. So this could be a stepmom. I mean, it could be, it might not be like a biological tie. I guess it doesn't really say. I, I guess technically, you know, that's father's wife. But I mean, doesn't make it any better. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes it any better here. And, and look what Paul continues to say in verse 2. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, 
I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we got, we got our friend here, our guy. He's been getting down and dirty with his moms. And here's the thing. The church is cool with it. The church is like, okay, we're cool with this. They're, and they're, they're probably saying something similar to like, yo, how great is God's grace? Wow. I mean, God really loves this guy. Um, I mean, if God's love is so extreme that he can love someone who's doing this, I mean, getting down to some Barry White with his mama, I mean, who could he not love? I mean, if God can love him, surely there's hope for all of us, the worst of sinners. And I want, I'm going to be really clear here. Don't miss this point. Um, God's love is extravagant. It is extreme. If you have done whatever in your mind is like wicked, God's love is avail- available for you. You need to know that. You need to keep that part clear. He loves you far more than you probably recognize. But here's the issue. This church, they're actually boasting in this dude's sin. They're like boasting in his sin. And, and we need to be clear about the situation here. Um, this is not a guy that's like struggling with this. This is not a guy who's like, oh no, oh man, mama's so tempting. Ooh, I know it's wrong, but ooh. It's not like, oh, I hate this about myself, man, I need help. He, he's, not, he's not that. It's rather, it's my business. What I do with myself is my business. It's, it's no one else's, and I'm going to do what I want to do. So Paul says, get him out. Get him out of the church. He has no place in this body. And Paul is calling out. He's he's actually calling out the elders and the leaders of that church. He's calling out those who should be responsible for this church to fight for its purity, but also the spiritual health of this person. He's like kind of talking to the whole church, but he's talking to the leaders. He's like, yo, leaders, what's up? Come on. You're supposed to be in charge of this church. You're supposed to suffer and lead this church. And look what you're celebrating. I mean, you're harming this person, but you're also harming the body of Christ. You got to get him out. You got to get him out for his own good. And I think when we, tra- when we interpret it, it's not saying, yo, give him to Satan so he can go to hell. It, it's, I don't think it's saying that. It's saying so he can actually be saved. You need to put him out of this body. And I want to I wanna pause there because I think for some of us, and depending on your background, some of us hearing that, um, it sounds really harsh. It sounds really unloving. You're like, yo, if this church ever did that, I will be out of here in a second. This church stinks. It's intolerant. It's, um, but I want, you to, I want you to understand church discipline, loving people even in the midst of sin I would suggest it's a mark that actually shows how loving a church community really is. A church that will live out and express and communicate and lovingly um, live out discipline is actually a mark of how much love is genuinely present in that church. I mean, think of it like a family. Think of it like a family. 
And some of you with toddlers, you can, you can put yourself right into this position. Imagine it's after church and you out there on the sidewalk. And your little toddler has just had a great day in Village Kids. And I love Village Kids. I love goldfish. And, you know, running around all, you know, hopped up on goldfish and children's Village Kids snacks, you know, going crazy. And then they're like, I want to run now, right? Too much sitting, right? I need tactile growth, right? And then they, they start running towards Falls Road. Or they start running towards 37th or rolling. They start booking, right? What are you going to do? You're like, oh, be careful, little two-year-old. No, you're going to Usain Bolt yourself and go run after that kid. Grab the kid if you love him or her. You might even give a slight little tap on their bottom, not to injure them, but to remind them and be very stern to say, you do not do that. You do not do that. You do not run into the street like that. And you know what that kid's going to think as they're looking at you? They're like, you are the meanest man in the world. <laughs> you stink. I mean, their brain can't do it at two years old, but they're thinking, weren't you just in church? Aren't you all about grace and love and kind? You stink. Are you yelling at me? You even hit my bottom. They don't recognize that you do that if you're a good parent because you love your kid. And you realize that they're going to harm themselves if they continue in that activity. And you need to be very clear, crystal clear, to the point that they know there is no doubt about what you're trying to say. Even if it sounds stern, this is not good for you. I love you too much to continue in this. And, And that's the kind of love we're talking about here in a community like a church. Let's continue in verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Let's pause there for a sec. I think this is really important for us to catch this because this is crystal clear important. We need to get this down because sometimes passages like this are often misinterpreted by church folks who get real judgmental to those outside the church real good at pointing fingers, maybe even making signs and picketing places and telling people, y'all, y'all going to hell. You, you like evil, you're horrible and like calling out people. But what this seems to say um, is actually to those outside the church, your job is not to judge them because if this isn't saying separate yourself from those outside the world, if that's happening, where would you go? Because that's the whole world. You're supposed to live in this world. But here's what, it is. What, here's what he's saying. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. We need to get clear here. Paul is not talking about the non-Christian who's acting all whatever. He's talking about those who say they're Christians. Um, I I think it's fascinating in a culture that probably doesn't know the Bible all that well. You know the one verse everyone knows, even if they don't know the Bible? Judge not lest ye be judged. They even go like King King James Version out of John, right? Judge not lest ye be judged. You are not to judge. That's partly true. We're not to judge those outside the church. And even within the church, we're not to come with a condemning kind of unloving judgment. But within the church, we're actually called to judge. 
We're actually called, and judge, I think it has certain connotation. It doesn't mean look down upon someone. It doesn't mean demean them. It doesn't mean strip away their dignity. If anything, it's to lift up those things, but by calling out areas of unbelief, of rebellious activity, of things that are harming the witness of God, but really harming their own soul. If anything, a church is evil if we are not going to love one another in that way. So here's practically what it means. For someone to say, yo, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. I'm even a partner of this church. I'm a partner, committed partner of this village. But I'm going to do this and this and this and this. I don't care what the Bible commands. I don't care what you tell me. What the Bible would say our response as leadership of the church should be is, no, you're not. Not if you're a committed partner member of the church. No, you're not. And, and maybe the response would be, well, well, you're not my boss. <laughs> Who are you to tell me things? You know, you're right. We're, we're not the boss. But if that's your heart, you may need to leave this church for a season. Again, I realize that can sound harsh. But it, all that is always done in the loving hope that God might move that man or that woman's heart to humble repentance, to recognize sin, sometimes to the extreme of having to be told, you can't walk here right now because you're blatantly disobeying God and you don't give a rip. We need to say, you have to be out of here for a season. The goal is that there will be a humble sense of conviction of sin and repentance of that sin so that when he or she turns back to God, we would have open arms and be waiting to embrace and to say, Praise God. Come home. Receive his grace. So let me be crystal clear. In case you're listening right now, you're like, okay, they're going to have bouncers after this service to get me out of here. Because this is not for those of us who have sin in our lives and we're genuinely struggling. I want to make that really clear. If you're sitting here, you're starting to listen to this. Oh, this is one of those kinds of churches. Ooh, they're going to do an inventory of me afterwards and ask me to check off all. Um, if you have sin in your life, if you have areas and you are like genuinely struggling, you're fighting. If you're in here and you're like, oh, I guess I'm out of this village place because I'm, I'm sexually impure. Or, man, I got high last night. Or, man, I, I guess I'm out of here because I'm really greedy. I mean, I just stole a Bible and put it in my backpack. And by the way, you take those. Those are for you. So that's not stealing. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's you, this isn't about you. This isn't addressing the heart that genuinely sees sin in your life, and you're like, man, I, I want to change. I need to change. My temptation is so strong. I'm fighting, but sometimes I just feel like I'm losing every day. If that's you, press into God's grace. Press into his radical love. Know that there is nothing you can do to make God reject you if you are in Christ. What this is talking about here is the people who know the truth, and saying they're beyond the truth. Knowing what God instructs and saying, yeah, but I just don't think that works for me. I'm going to be my ultimate authority on what's right or wrong. I'm going to be my ultimate guide on how life works. I don't care what the Bible says. Do we really, can we really trust an old ancient book like that? I don't care what the leaders say. I don't care what the church says. I'm going to do what I want. That's the kind of attitude that Paul's addressing here. Again, just to be really, really clear, this is not about people who are struggling in their sin, if that's you. Uh, if, you if that's you, 
Um, if you hate the sin in your life and you want to know this God who heals you, uh, you want to know God who promises to move in you, that, that's what we're saying. You need to be here. You need to press into this God. Because that's not what this passage is addressing. Here's what it's saying to us as a church, and I hope we can take this um, with some modicum of like gravity. I think what it's saying here, it's asking us, do we have the faith? Does the village church, do we have the courage as a church, as a community, as a leadership, to love one another so much that we will go to extreme measures for each other? I think that's what it's asking here. That we love one another so much in this body that we will even risk someone accusing you of being unloving, of being judgmental. Do we love one another that much? Do we love one another so much that if we learn of unrepentant sin in, in one another's life, we will understand that it's our responsibility to address it. Always with grace. Always with kindness. But to address it, even if you know that it might affect your relationship with that person. And that's probably the hardest part, right? Man, they're going to hate me. Man, I'm going to push them away. I mean, why would we do that with all the possible risks that's involved? Because we know where that can lead to in a person's life. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I want us to think about this idea, this imagery almost of hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is not an overnight thing. This is a gradual, almost drifting kind of thing. So I'll be, I'll be forth right here. I am a man who sins. And if you want to know how I sin, just hang out with me for like 24 hours. You're going to say, wow, I thought you were like, like another apostle when you're preaching on Sunday. But yo, you're really broken. You're a real sinner. Man, you got a temper and you got some bad habits. And man, you, you got some hygiene issues. I mean, there's a lot going on there. So I sin. I want to make this very clear. But here's one sin currently that I really genuinely 99.9% do not struggle with. It's having an affair. I, I'm not saying I want to. I'm, I'm just saying genuinely I do not struggle with it. Like right now, my, that's not the thought that pops into my head. Man, you really want to have an affair, don't you? I'm like, no, not really. Um, it's, it, that's, that's not a crisis of belief for me right now. And I'm going to, maybe for a lot of us in here, it's not either. Maybe you're sitting here like, whew, I'm glad he's talking about having an affair because that's not me. Wow. I hope someone's listening in this room, but that's not me. Um, but I'm going to suggest if we don't feel like that's something we have a crisis of faith with or struggle with, maybe that's exactly the reason why too many people end up in the place of marital unfaithfulness. Because we don't think that would ever be an issue for us. Because we might not even currently struggle with that. I'm going to suggest that's sometimes the gateway through which far, far too many people I know end up in marital unfaithfulness because they think that's something I would never do. Oh, that's something I don't struggle with. Pastor preaches about it, but that, that's not even an issue for me. Because that's not how sin works. Um, if you can see trouble coming, most of us, you're not going to fall into it. I mean, you're going to set up some things around to, oh, I see that coming. That, but, but the author of Hebrews is so clear that we need one another. We need people in our life because the nature of sin, it's extremely deceitful. It's actually kind of slow. 
It's like almost like polar ice caps slow. Have you ever tracked the pole? It's like moving, but you don't see it if you stare and you're looking at it. But that's how sin can be. It's deceitful. It's subversive. It's, it's like a drifting kind of thing. So for me, when I'm counseling people in the midst of some pretty strong sin issues, people who've really fallen to some stuff that they are just horrified by, embarrassed of, shocked, one thing I almost always hear is, Pastor, I don't know how this happened. I never imagined myself getting to this place in life. Pastor, I never imagined doing this kind of thing. I can't understand. And if, if, if most of us, if we take an honest assessment of where we're, at, where we're at in our life, most of the time, like the big things that have hit us, it's been like a small, uh, it's been a, like a series of smaller things that have happened. Usually it's not like an overnight kind of like I'm praising God on Sunday and by Monday I'm like of the devil. That usually doesn't happen like that. But it's a series of smaller little choices or decisions or things that have happened. And then one day you look up and you're shocked to see where you're at. You're like, where, where did that come from? Usually it's been uh, this little decision back there, this little inactivity back there, this little choice to do this, this little choice not to do this. And then over a period of time, it's all led to where you're at. And that's how sin works. So it's not that question, will you have an affair? Are, are you going to have an affair? Are you going to be unfaithful? That's really not how it works. It, it's this to this to this to this to this to this. That's how sin usually works to get us to a place where we could never imagine that we would go. It's like just a series of thousand justifications explaining what's happened in our life. And guys... That's why we need one another. That's why we need one another. That's why we need some people in our life who will look at us and say, oh, wow, there, there's some disconnect there in your life. Wow, I know you enough to see something's off there. You, the way you're talking right now, there's something that's not, what's going on in your life right now? What's happening? It, it, you don't seem right. It, this doesn't add up right now. And guys, the thing is, this drifting thing, this hardening of sin it, it happens all the time, but it happens much more when we're isolated. When you're on your own, that hardening, drifting process is exacerbated. And we need to be known. We need one another. Because the Christian faith, it was never meant to be a mass of disconnected believers who aren't really connected in any way. But the thing is, sadly, it's, it's what I observe is happening more and more with how many of you the church, maybe even at our church, um, so the things that are required for our safety, for our growth, we just don't have them in our life. Um, there's no one to speak into our life. There's no one that we submit to in authority who, who guides us. There's no one to rebuke us if there's like obvious uh, areas of sin because we're not known. And maybe even some of us can identify this. We might even attend a service um, but we simply come, we listen to the sermon, and we get out, and no one knows we were even there or not. And, and that's just not how church was designed to be. And, and what happens with that is inevitably you get frustrated too. You're like, man, I keep going to church, but I'm not growing. Of course, because part of growing is being known, is having people know you. So if that's you in any way, um, 
My goal is not to sound harsh for harshness sake. I, I hope you don't feel like, man, this guy really beating up on us today. For not, It's not the point of this. It's out of love for you because as a church, we want you to experience a deeper sense of walking with God. And we believe that comes from walking with one another. That's why we talk about things like partnership, intro to village, uh, all these different things. It's not for us to build up a number of people that say these are committed. It's really for your benefit to have a step to say, I'm making a commitment to be known here. I'm not going to be anonymous. I'm not going to just come in and kind of hear some stuff that maybe I'm going to be take a step to be known. So with that, I want to, I want to acknowledge um, I completely understand and I even really get why some of you here probably don't want to be part of a church, even if you're interested in Jesus. Um, some of you have probably been burned really badly in churches before. Um, maybe you've even been part of a churches that said, we want you to be fully honest in who you are. You be you. And then you were you and you got shunned. You're like, okay, that stunk. <laughs> I'm never going to listen to anyone again that tells me to be me because when I was me, Everyone hated it. And they kind of ostracized from myself. Maybe some of you are at a place where the pastor suddenly became like a king of the place, whose word was never challenged at all. Maybe some of you are places where there were dysfunctional relationships, or maybe places where there was no grace, but just a legalistic kind of rule following. If that's you, I can fully understand why the notion of allowing a church community to get to know you sounds like a horrible idea. It, it sounds like terrible so here, here's what I mean by that. If my final appeal to you is, come on, guys, trust this community at the village because we're different. I mean, if that's my appeal, yeah, every other church you've been today, a bunch of knuckleheads, legalistic, um, you know, fun hating. We're not like that. We're different. Come on. If that's my ultimate appeal, mm, I mean, I'd like to hope so, kind of. But I also know we're a pretty broken people, and we'll probably experience a lot of the same brokenness you might have experienced in whatever churches uh, you've been part of in the past. But that's why my hope for this community and, and why I can confidently invite you to join us, it's right there in verse 7, when it says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because what I'm inviting to you is not just a culture of a people. I'm inviting you to know who is at the center of this community that we call the church. And at our church, we want to continue to fight that that's Jesus. That's why we have this table every week set out for us to respond and worship and come. Remember the broken body that Jesus instructed us to know. That was his body broken. And to come to the cup and be reminded of the blood that he was, that was shed from his body to forgive us from sin. And that's why regularly we come up and do this. But I want to also say this. If you're not careful, this can just become like rote memory kind of thing. Like you ain't even thinking. Like sometimes, have you ever come to church? And afterwards you're like, you know, I don't even remember going up for communion. But I think I know I did because I got some cracker crumbs on my cheek here. My beard, some of y'all beards, right? You got cracker crumbs all over it. So I know I did it, but I wasn't even thinking about what I did. Could I invite you today, before you come up to this table? The, the table, the Lord's Supper, the centrality of Christ is not meant to be something you come up so you can get blessed for that week. It's actually supposed to be kind of like a small act of discipline here. It's supposed to be for you to come up and before you can take from there, 
You know, later in 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at instruction, examine yourself well. Like before you come up, you're supposed to actually, before you take that precious body, dip it in the precious blood, you're supposed to ask, am I being who I'm supposed to be? Am I really walking with this church? Is there unrepentant sin in my life that I've kind of just harbored away? That I'm not really... And what I want to invite you to is don't let that say, oh, I shouldn't come up to the table, but be invited to the grace of Christ. Be invited to the grace of this Jesus Christ that says, yes, I know that. I know that about you. And that's why I'm the one who had to die to make you reconciled with the Father. I did it. And that's why we remember him regularly because he's the one who allows us to come have access to the Father even though we know we have those issues in our life. And we're a whole bunch of scattered, broken people in here coming together to be the church. And I'm going to also invite you, if you don't know Jesus, and we don't put sugary language on this, but if you don't know who Christ is, if you would say, yeah, I even go to church. I don't know if I've actually confessed my sin and believed that Jesus would forgive me. I want to invite you, come to the table today, but before you do that, say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, thank you for dying for me when I didn't deserve it and making me your beloved in your own sacrifice and become part of the family. Maybe get baptized even and follow Jesus. So let me take a moment and pray for us. And we're going to do baptism in a second here. But I want us to take a moment to pray. And after baptism, we're going to come to the table as well. But bow your head with me. And let me ask you, as you do that, do what I I ask you to do. And I, I say this as an elder of this church. Is there areas of sin in your life that you are blatantly just running away from God in? that you've heard instruction from the word, and you're saying, no one's going to tell me what to do. Can I invite you in the grace of God to stop, to know the love of the Father, to know that God cares for you too much to let you keep persisting in that, and to come receive the forgiveness of this Lord. Heavenly Father, help us. As we read this passage, Lord, I, I honestly confess there's a part of me that recognizes if there were anyone to be cast out, it would be me. If there's anyone to be cast out, I can find many ways that it should be me. But Lord, you pour out grace upon grace for the broken, for the sinner. And I pray for my friends here, my family here, we would come to know that God of grace that beckons us, that welcomes us to forgiveness and your mercy, even when we've sinned, when we humbly acknowledge that we need help. And I pray for any among us who might be arrogant in our sin. And we've been running in that. We just don't give a rip. Lord, let your kindness lead us to repentance today. May we know the suffering Savior who gave his life so we wouldn't have to walk in our sin. That we could be cleansed and made right in God. So help us, Lord. And even as we recognize the beauty of baptism at this time, help us to be able to acknowledge your beauty in forming this church together. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are excited. We're going to have a baptism today. Um, we were originally going to have two folks getting baptized, but unfortunately one person is sick. She has pneumonia, so she texted this morning. She, we're going to schedule her another day. But um, we're really excited. I'm going to introduce Nora to come up. And Nora is going to read uh, something she's prepared to explain why she wants to be baptized. Hi, 
I'm Laura Michelle Timby, and a while ago, we moved here to Maryland, and we were looking for churches, and I'm really glad that we chose this one. My parents and my grandparents have really helped me to um, recognize Jesus, and they've told me a lot about him, and they told me a lot about baptism, and I'm really excited to get baptized today. I really want to get baptized to show my friends and my family in this church that I'm ready to walk in Jesus' path, and I'm ready for him to guide me along the way. Thank you. Amen. Baptism, there's a reason why you do it in the local church. It's not meant to be something you say, oh, I want to get baptized. I'll do it in my bathtub by myself. It's one of the beautiful things that the Lord is. And some of y'all know you're tempted to do that. You're like, I want to get baptized. I don't want to get in front of everyone. Um, It's one of the beautiful signs that we've been given as a church in baptism and the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of the beauty of Christ. So as we've observed baptism, now I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to sing. We're going to respond in prayer. We're going to seek the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to come to the table if you're a Christian. We've got uh, the two stations here. The, um, to your right is a gluten-free. So for those of you who need that, you can use that. Whatever the case might be, take a piece of the bread, dip into the cup. You can come up both aisles together. And let that be your invitation to the grace of God. Have you been running from God? Let this be your way to be reminded of the God who desires you and wants you to be coming to him. So let's sing. Let's pray. If you want to receive prayer, feel free to come up as well. And let's receive communion as we respond to the word of the Lord.